Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Today I'm going to talk about um, approach to adventure design and how the game you choose may inform that uh, uh, advertently or inadvertently. Someone uh, recently had a um, follow-up question to a recent episode of the podcast about the comment I made about uh, how I approach uh, Conan games and I made it kind of an off-the-cuff comment uh, as opposed to, uh, I guess, how I approach Conan, as opposed to how I approach uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. Both are purportedly to be uh, kind of a swords and sorcery style game. And, um, but I think, I mean, uh, when I think about it, I definitely approach the, uh, the design for those two games uh, quite differently. So I thought I'd talk about that today. So I haven't really talked about how I approach adventure design uh, in general on this podcast before, which I guess uh, is maybe a topic I should address uh, at a future date. But the um, I, I was thinking about the way that uh, like I guess what I meant by that uh, that offhand comment um, uh, over the weekend, and I th- come to a couple conclusions, and part of that is based on running a couple other games as well. Over the past weekend, um, the pa- this past weekend, I ran uh, Modern Age RPG from Green Ronin for the first time. It's a most recent uh, iteration of. No, that's not true. Uh, Expanse, the Expanse RPG, is the most recent one, but it is a um, it is the most recent uh, or one of the most recent, I suppose, uh, versions of the Age engine that uh, drove the Dragon Age uh, RPG at first. Uh, it was developed for that, and then it was refined over the course of uh, two or three box sets and then a hardback and then uh, the fantasy age RPG and then finally modern age RPG and the uh, the game has really streamlined down to a really uh, it was never a terribly complicated game before but the the version in uh, modern age is really quite nice it's very light on its feet very lean um, with the exception of the, uh, the fairly extensive list of stunts that you can do I'm not, I'm not going to get too too much into that uh, but the reason it's uh, it is a. I'm enjoying the game thus far. I think it's a really cool uh, uh, game. But what um, what I have uh, that's not why I brought it up. Well, the reason I brought it up is because the modern age game has a bunch of really interesting sub mechanics or like mini games that it uses to model a number of different things, like you know uh, group tasks or chases or infiltrations or hacks or whatnot. And I mean, honestly, their fourth edition D&D skill challenges. It's, uh, you know, you accumulate a certain number of successes uh, before you accumulate a number of failures. Um, there is some granularity to that beyond just that. But I mean, at its bare bones, that's what the structure is. And regular viewers of the podcast will know I love those things. I love uh, skill challenges. I think properly implemented, they are a really fun way to gamify some uh, narrative sequences and really give players an opportunity to contribute with uh, some narrative input uh, for their uh, for the um, non-combat scenes. So, so anyway, uh, that I was um, I'm not running a pre-gen adventure for that. I had, I've written something specifically for that whole you know uh, the, the quarterly game. So it's going to be about six sessions. We're going to play through that one and. It's uh, it's interesting because the what I had initially intended was to to write when I have games that are new games that I uh, that have interesting sub mechanics for you know beyond just combat. What I'll often do is I will 
sit down and I'll put down like the, these are the things I want to incorporate. And then in the one shot or in the, um, what do you call it? Uh, in the one shot or in the, um, uh, adventure or what I'll do is I will specifically include scenes that allow us to explore those options. So, you know, um, I will structure the story so that there's a chase, if there's an interesting chase mechanic, and I'll structure for an investigation, if I think there's an interesting investigation, or, you know, social skills, or skill challenges. So, that's what I had initially done, and I I sat down and wrote those things out, and then I started writing the actual story and kind of figuring out how I was going to divide the story beats, uh, you know, throughout the six... um, uh, what do you call it? succession uh, adventure and I had a, a rough idea of like a three act structure I wanted to use for it as well uh, because it's a it's a fairly set adventure so you know the characters will definitely have a lot of uh, freedom but by by virtue of being a kind of investigative uh, campaign there is a going to be a, the rough you know uh, outline for the uh, three different structures for it And the, sorry, someone would just flash me with their high beams. Clearly not happy with my driving. Well, they can go fuck themselves. Um, anyway, the way that um, I approach my Conan games is often the same way too, because I know sort of what these, um, those who aren't familiar with the Conan game, uh, it's a 2D20 game, very similar to Mutant Chronicles or Star Trek Adventures or John Carter or uh, Infinity. Uh, it's uh, It has this kind of pseudo-story game uh, quality to it where there is a resource called uh, Momentum that is in like a meta, uh, um, what is it, a narrative meta-currency that you can use to alter dice rolls to make changes to the scenes and things like that. You, know, you have another version of that as well called Fortune, uh, but... That is the um, that is the, the primary um, uh, the way that you kind of alter the game through through gameplay, and what that means is that there's uh, there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of creativity and a lot of kind of changing things on the fly that happens in the course of a Conan game just because of uh, the way that the uh, the way that the momentum kind of plays out, uh, and it also allows you to abstract some stuff too. So like if you want to abstract out the or and gamify the like say infiltration of a snake cult temple or you know uh, sneaking into a tower um you can do that you can set it up as uh and the narrative um flow of the game is is kind of dictated or augmented by the the momentum stuff uh you i don't do that when i'm doing when i'm running old school games uh old school games don't have those story structures to it part of the fun of playing those games is immersing yourself in the actual moment and and I guess taking advantage of sort of the more simulationist elements of that um, you're making individual dex checks or your you know uh, move silently checks that are not necessarily part of an overall like get X number of successes before Y failures and um, the reason I mean uh, I was thinking this was this weekend, the comment was like, okay, well, I guess first off, what, what is the different approach I use and why do I use that? So I guess what I'm saying is that when I'm designing a game or an adventure for a game like Conan or, you know, Modern Age, what I'm often doing is I'm turning my mind to the the way that the game is going to uh, interpret that story and the events that are happening therein. And some games have sub-mechanics 
that you need to account for and you need to design for, that you need to you know add stats for, decide how many successes before how many failures and so forth. Like you're deciding on what um, what uh, you know what 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 parts of the game mechanics. In the same way, you would like figure out what stats there are for different adversaries or monsters. In a similar way, you're doing that just for non-combat scenes, and uh, that also, I mean. Another way is, you know, that if that sounds kind of uh, negative, uh, I don't intend it to be. What it means is that there are other kind of design chops you can, you know, you can uh, exercise while you're designing for those particular types of games, which is, is pretty fun. You know, um, I, I don't design skill challenges when I'm running AD and D um, or Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, but I do that when I'm running more modern versions of D and D or Pathfinder Two or you know, um, Conan or Modern Age. Uh, so the thing is, is something kind of happened this weekend that made me think about, well, maybe I'm, I need to be a little more flexible in this because um, it works. I mean, that works well. That works perfectly well. That's how the, pre-gen, that's how the uh, published adventures work. But um, one thing I, I kind of stumbled on this weekend with our first session of Modern Age is we, we almost fell in the trap of kind of using, just because you've got these really elaborate... Um, you know, sub-mechanics for running a bunch of different things, including social interactions and investigations, doesn't mean you have to. You know, at, the way I kind of said it on the, on the, uh, off the cuff this weekend was, well, you know, if, if the outcome is uncertain and interesting, then we'll engage those mechanics. But if, it's, if we're getting as interesting story developments with just role-playing the way we would in any other game, we're not going to engage those things. You know, we don't need to constantly be trying to translate the actions of the game through the lens of the rules. And I don't know, I mean, I think some players may not like that, or some GMs may not make that call, but I am confident that was the right call for, for that. We had a really good session that really gave us an opportunity to meet all the characters, to do a little bit of, of uh, dice rolling, and... For the next session, I do have uh, the, all that uh, mechanical stuff that I had kind of designed for this first session. Uh, we'll be able to see that in play, in all likelihood. So, um, so that's when it's, I guess the, what what the takeaway I suppose is from this is, if there is one, um, for these early morning ramblings. First is is that the way that when I say that I approach design differently is. Uh, through the lens of the specific game mechanics. And the way that I, I had mentioned that I, I don't, uh, or I, I had approached certain um, challenges or certain, uh, I guess, design out decisions for my recent Ash one-shot were closer to what I did in Conan. I mean, for one, I really didn't care that much about the rules. We got to a certain point where I sort of hand-waved through some things, and I do that in Conan sometimes as well. Conan, uh, the 2D20 Conan, gives you the license to focus on what's interesting. If there's uninteresting stuff, uh, you know, why would we need to go through a tedious slog of rolling dice for it? Conan is not about dungeon crawling. Conan is about highlighting the important moments in the dungeon where something really interesting happens. And I did that with, um, with Ash. Now, the thing is, they're different games, and I wouldn't want to do that with Ash. Part of the fun of those old-school games is the verisimilitude in the world. There is credibility to the world, you know, that you, yeah, if you go into a castle and it's supposed to have whatever it is, uh, say 40 or 50 soldiers in it, well, there should be 40 or 50 soldiers in there. 
you know, uh, because if you if you give it a different uh, number, um, it, it it doesn't allow the players to do creative things, to be smart and kind of work the the problem. Um, if the players, you know, do come with some cockamamie plan that causes, um, say, 30 of those soldiers to go running outside the castle and the players trap them outside there, well, there shouldn't be, just because the combat encounter changed, those should be stuck outside the castle and the players should only be dealing with the 20 that are left over. And those are 30 outside, they'll be a bit getting up to some stuff too, but it'll be within the context of what's believable within the persisting world. And that's I mean, that's a ton of fun. I love that. That's one of the reasons I love running old school games in that way is I don't run them generally in a story game. But as a way of changing things up, though, pretty good. And I, I, mean, I think it's easier to do do that in these old school games than it is to try and simulate a old school persisting world style of play in a, in a newfangled game. Uh, that's the problem I ran into in my Barrow Maze game. You know, if you try and... The game makes certain assumptions about how combat is going to play out, how uh, it abstracts... It's not only that it makes assumptions, it makes abstractions, and a lot of these new games do that. They abstract certain things like combat, like relative difficulty and so forth, and those work when you run the games the way they are designed to be run. You know, when you run Balanced Encounters in Pathfinder 2, they're still... They're not a cakewalk. They're a lot of fun, and you can have a lot of interesting things going on in them, but if you try and do the persisting world stuff, those uh, 40 or 20 whatever adversaries, it's going to kick the shit out of the players because the game's not designed to simulate the world that way. I mean, what the game would then encourage you to do, I I imagine, is to just do some hand-waving, you know, doing some hand-waving stuff, abstract out some of those uh, encounters to be just, um, uh, what do you call it? It's just uh, like skill challenge type things. But... um, yeah, so that means I guess uh, I guess what the takeaway is is that it may be more challenging to do that to kind of you know approach the adventure design from a different perspective. Well, at least it'll be more successful from from certain perspectives because certain games are a little lighter on their feet. But I think that um, old school games, the old school sensibilities that I mentioned there about having the persisting world and whatnot, that is separate from the game. Uh, the old school games facilitate that kind of sensibility quite well but it by no means requires you to run the game that way. You can run story games. I mean, AD&D 2nd going up until 3rd edition was pretty story-focused as opposed to persisting uh, world-focused from Dragonlance going forward. So that game can do that, and similar old-school games can do that. It just means that they're quite good at a persisting world, and a lot of the newfangled games like Pathfinder 2, like Conan, like Infinity... They're not going to do as good of a job on that because that's not how they're, um, that's not the way that their rules are designed. So, so anyway, I that's a bit rambly, um, and by a bit I mean more so than usual for me. Uh, but I hope that helps under helps um, enunciate or at least explain the uh, the the what I meant when I said that there's the the different approach and provides maybe hopefully some insight into different ways you can think about your own adventure design when you are um, deciding kind of how to put together your you know, your actual game. Maybe what I'll do as well is I will talk about nuts and bolts uh, adventure design, the kind of actual prep I do uh, for the different adventures uh, in a second segment, and I'll record that a little later today. So, so that's what I meant by my Conan stuff. Next segment. 
will be about uh, my adventure design. Okay, uh, so since my uh, I last recorded the previous segment, it's actually been a couple of days, uh, and I have, uh, uh, I mean, partly because I just got busy with work and uh, distracted by getting other stuff uh, ready, but uh, it has had the opportunity to for me to actually get a better example. What I had, uh, well, I've actually, this, this is now my third attempt at recording this segment. First attempt was uh, just not helpful. It was just me throwing out a bunch of war stories of how I designed specific adventures, and I don't think that's going to provide anything that, uh, you know, any lessons from which you guys can draw or your folks can draw a, uh, uh, any kind of uh, applications or lessons to apply to your own uh, adventure design, um, or at least ideas, not lessons. That sounds very condescending. Um, and then the second attempt was I started doing, I thought it would be interesting to do an, an exercise in uh, an example of game design or adventure design where I took an idea and then sort of chased it forward. Uh, to think about how I would gamify that. And then, uh, well, I mean, I, this morning when I went to uh, record this segment I, and erase that segment because I have a different idea, I realized that I accidentally erased that one anyway. So I don't have that segment anymore anyway. So I guess that was never meant to be, you know, never destined for air anywho. So but what I have thought of is, in the interim since, is I have watched one of the regular players in... Um, our games on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel is George Strayton, and George uh, is also a uh, writer. He's a, uh, he works in uh, L.A. and he uh, works for for Netflix. And uh, he one of the shows that he on which he was a producer and a writer uh, called October Faction uh, just came out this past week, I believe, maybe a week a little earlier than that. And uh, I just finished watching the first season last night, and it's great. I mean, if you haven't seen the show, uh, I won't spoil anything apart from saying that the show is pitched as kind of a, you know, Monster Hunters uh, thing. And I don't think that's a quite, that's not really what you're getting. What you're getting is uh, a, uh, the story of, oh boy, I'm blind with the sun. It's a story about a family of Monster Hunters. And that may, that may not seem like a a different... Or they may, I don't know. Hopefully that, that communicates that it's going to be a different... It's not just about a monster of the week hunting down different things each day. It's really about um, uh, family. And uh, it was really enjoyable, really good. And I'm, I'm uh, fingers crossed we get to, to see a second season of that too. But what it got me thinking of is... on uh, We've all been watching the show uh, kind of... Well, not all of us, but a lot of us have been watching the show at the same time, and a lot of us have been chatting on uh, Discord about that, and uh, I said, well, like, how the hell am I not going to, we naturally, because we're all a bunch of gaming nerds, the word, the, you know, the um, uh, topic got to, well, you know, what, uh, when are we going to see an October Faction RPG, and that naturally got me to thinking, well, like, how, how do I not run a one-shot of, you know, of October Faction now, you know, uh, it's really cool, uh, I think it's a, a great setup. But there's some stuff that's different about the series that distinguishes it from just generic, like, Monster Hunter stuff. And I thought I'd talk about that, like, about my, my thoughts that I've had thus far as to how I'm going to put together that one shot. What this means, then, is that, for one, I might be talking about spoilers from the series. So if you're intending on watching the October Faction series, don't, don't listen to this yet. Um, skip this segment and come back to it at a later time if you want to, uh, but uh, definitely watch October Faction first, because there's some really awesome... Uh, I'm 
there's some big spoilers that I'm going to completely avoid. There's some relatively minor spoiler. Well, there's there's mid-range spoilers that I'm going to include for the show. So if you intend on watching the show, please don't listen to this yet. Uh, go watch the show, then come back and listen to this at another time. Um, in addition, if you are a player in one of my campaigns, skip this segment because it's going to, at least for now, uh, it's going to ruin the uh, adventure that I have intended for you for... Um, uh, for next Friday, uh, at the time of recording. Uh, once we're done the adventure, you feel free to come back and listen to this and see how it compares to what I had, uh, where my thoughts were today versus what actually happens at the table. But, uh, but yeah, so if you're a player or if you're in, if you have not yet seen October Faction and you intend on, intend on watching October Faction, please do not listen to this segment because it will spoil it for you and it's worth enjoying all on its own. So with those spoiler warnings out of the way, Let's talk about my idea for an October faction uh, adventure. So, um, what I was, my immediate thought was, is that like there's a lot of stuff that happens in the series that kind of changes the status quo, and that is, I mean, that's common with a lot of um, media-based uh, stuff, right? Like, I mean, or media-based RPGs. A problem with some media-based RPGs is that. The heroes have often left the world transformed by the end of their story. So it's sometimes tricky to find uh, a story that's going to be on par and have as much, you know, weight as, say, the uh, uh, the story that our main protagonists went through. Um, but one way to get around that, and uh, this is um, something that, uh, you know, uh, that we've seen in a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different kind of media franchises is uh, prequels. You, you go back in time, look look back and see what's happened before. You know some elements, some big points in uh, in those uh, prequel stories, but you don't necessarily know the uh, full picture. So um, that's what I intend to do. Uh, I was looking at, uh, there's some scenes in set in 19, well, in a bar in 1988 New York, and it just so happens that for another adventure I had planned last year, which ended up, I, it ended up being not the idea was not a good fit for what I was intending on doing with it, uh, but I put a lot of work into designing a '70s uh, champions uh, setting, champions a superhero role playing game. I had uh, been wa- like basically put myself on a uh, regimen of '70s movies set in New York, so I could really get a feel for the ambiance and uh, and the look of the place and the sensibilities of some of the stories. And I, um, I had really kind of put together something that I thought was going to be a real fun uh, adventure that played up some of the, the, the things that, you know, where if you read Marvel comics in the 70s and 80s, what you sort of, the, the dangerous, you know, crime-filled New York that was presented there, um, as opposed to the, you know, kid-friendly, you know, M&M store in, the, in Times Square that we, we now see. Uh, something that would, would really call back to the, the you know the vigilante film movement that uh, you know with Death Wish and uh, with um, uh, the Deadpool. Um, so what I um, what I thought would be neat to do something in the '70s, and I had been doing a lot of research around the '77 blackout for for New York because it's an interesting, you know, it's it's one of those big events that affected a, a you know one of the largest cities in the world. And there's always it's fun coming up with supernatural explanations for that. Now, my initial idea changed over the course of the uh, watching the show because the show itself, as I said, is not really. If you've seen it now, you know that the show presents 
um, it's it's kind of how you know it's kind of about you know it's about the family definitely, but the the world itself and and the organization that's involved there, what their what that kind of the theme it deals with with that is the dehumanizing of the enemy. You know, and that's something that um, has happened in, in every conflict. You know, uh, you can see uh, propaganda from the uh, Second World War is, is pretty horrific for how it presents Asian America or Asians and um, uh, Germans, and the particularly Asians though. There's the caricatures that come from that are much more dehumanizing, and uh, yeah. So, um, so anyway, the, I don't want to get lost in a political aside here but that's really part of what the the show is about is about how there's actually more to some of these people uh than that's more to the things they're hunting than just you know monsters and um the show still leaves it, it so makes it clear that there is plenty of awfulness like it's not um it's not presenting it as if like there's only you know um there's only, uh, you know, the good monsters and the evil monster hunters. Um, it, it really, like, there's, you know, references to werewolves tearing apart families and things like that and some other awful shit that, that other monsters do. And some of the monsters, just by virtue of their existence, they're, they're not necessarily, per se, evil, but, I mean, they are necessarily predators on mankind. There's vampires that are introduced fairly early on that are like that. And there are some that can be seen as benevolent, uh, or at least benign, like, uh, warlocks, but there are others that are arguably just, they're evil, or, you know, and not necessarily evil, but just, like, they are definitely hostile to humankind, and so by that way, I mean, the, the show ends with a pretty clear idea of, like, who's, you know, quote-unquote side, uh, that the show is on, um, but I think that there, the world itself that it presents there is a little murkier, and um, well, that's why I thought I. So, with that in mind, I, I thought like, well, I can't. I don't want to just make an adventure about monster hunters. You know, like monster hunters going around doing you know disco stuff and punk and you know the gritty streets of New York with hunting monsters. That's part of what the show is about. But there's more going on there about like distrust of power and their or distrust of authority at least. And about uh, the ambiguity of uh, the whole monster versus human stuff. So what I thought I would do is, instead of having that, I thought, okay, well, what, what are, what's a, an analogy? Because the, um, keeping with the theme of, um, you know, of kind of, uh, not coding. Well, there is some pretty strong coding going on in the, in the show as well, too. Because there's one character who talks, at, like, verbatim talks about how he is both a uh, a warlock who's being hunted and a black man who's being hunted, uh, you know, or at least unsafe in, in a, felt unsafe in, in the wider human white uh, world. And again, I don't want to get too, too lost in, uh, in a talk about that, but I mean, it is, it is a theme in the, in the series. And uh, it's an important one, I think, that distinguishes the setting and the, what the story is about and what October Faction is about that then what, say... You know, Monster Hunters or Buffy, but necessarily was about. Uh, although Buffy had episodes that were kind of about that as well. Um, so, with that in mind, what I thought was, all right, what things can I play up? Well, abuse of power for one. Yeah, this series, for those who have seen it now, have uh, seen that it, it there's a, a talk of genocide, and it's not 
technically genocide because it's not wiping out an entire species, but there is a um, an incident where they wipe out an entire community, and that's again not to minimize the uh, you know mass murder, but it definitely was not genocide. Although I guess that's what the whole monster hunters thing is is engaged in. But anyway, the um, I'm getting lost in my own thoughts about the, the series right now. Uh, the what I'm what I'm thinking is that is talking about the the conditions that um, minority communities were living in in uh, the 70s in New York. So Harlem and um, the I think it's the Lower East Side uh, are the two kind of regions that were incredible. Like you see photos of the of the region. Um, it honestly it looks like something from uh, Syria. You know, it looks it's. Uh, the, the buildings are collapsed, they're boarded up, they're, you know, damaged. It's, it, it really is a bit of an urban kind of, um, you know, urban decay doesn't really do it justice. It's the rotting corpse of a city. Like, it's really, really, really awful. And um, what I thought was the, um, I, I needed there to be a monster threat. So I thought, well, ghouls will be kind of fun. And I, th- I might play up with the, the yeah, international, there's a comment in the, uh, in, in the series about a Tibetan golem or something like that, or Tibetan something or other that was introduced at one point. And I was like, oh, it's kind of neat, like the idea that these monsters have spread, in, you know, across with globalization, with the spread of, of man, the monsters have sort of spread across the world too. So I thought using like proper Arabic ghouls, like uh, G-H-U-L ghouls might be an interesting um, way of approaching it, instead of doing like traditional D&D style, you know, just carrying, you know, paralyzing things. So I thought that, and then, but I also want it to be spread. I want it to be a, a, a virus that the, the uh, ghouls can spread. So this ghoul nest is a real threat. But what um, I thought might be a good secret, I thought, for one, the the reveal of the secrets of the organization, the, the Presidio is the, I can't remember the, the actual, there's it was Presidio something or other, but the Presidio is the name of the monster hunting organization and I thought it'd be cool to have the Presidio haven't done something you know there's a secret that the Presidio wants to keep hidden from the rest from the monster hunters themselves and that's not necessarily just true of the uh, the source material that's also very true for the time period as well too distrust of authority what with Watergate you know and the Pentagon Papers and whatnot in the uh, rearview mirror of the American consciousness the 70s is definitely a period of distrust of government and uh and the oh and uh the what do you call it um uh, no I, I guess i lost my thought there uh but anyway the that's what i thought would be a really fun thing so what the presidio i thought might have done is that they may have introduced something to try and like a virus basically like imagine a way of kind of like poisoning meat so how do you do that with ghouls well you infect a community with some kind of virus that would then, if the ghouls ate them, then they would, um, uh, then, then, then the ghouls would become, uh, you know, would be eliminated or they would spread a virus themselves to the other ghouls, kind of like a way of, of eliminating the ghouls with one bit of tainted, you know, quote unquote meat. And it, it, that, what I thought with that, the way that they would have spread that uh, may have been through, like, neighborhood fogging, maybe, like, um, deep fogging in the deep summer. I know the blackout happens in the summertime, so maybe there was fogging trucks that went through these, uh, unfortunately, these, like, low-income neighborhoods 
or these slums, and then um, infected a bunch of people there, not realizing that what actually happened. I mean, that kind of also calls, you know, the Tuskegee experiments to mind. And so I don't think it's unreasonable to think that that is something that may have, uh, may have happened. But anyway, the, um, the, so the, they go and they spread this in the, in the neighborhood. And then the, what ends up happening is when people are killed by, uh, uh, people are not only uh, being killed by the ghouls, they're being killed by this virus and then coming back as ghouls. So you have a whole neighborhood that is currently infected with this stuff. And uh, it is it's fortunately not spreading to other humans, but it is causing a massive outbreak in ghouls in this uh, in this area. So the players will go in thinking it's just a ghoul nest, and then we'll, we'll realize that shit. There's this is not just ghouls. Something else is going on here. And I'm gonna have my plan is is keeping with the idea that secrets are fun. One of the players. One of the player characters will know this. I'm gonna tell the players that okay, one of you has a secret, and that the other characters their their goal in this session is to un- uncover that secret, and uh, for dramatic purposes. And that one player, his goal is to or her goal is to keep that secret from everyone else. However, my plan is is to give everyone a secret. Everyone's gonna have a different secret, and they're gonna know what, you know, um, the, if they uncover the stuff or if they get to the you know, to the point where they are willing to uh, uncover it. And I think what I what I was thinking of doing too is give them some kind of like, when the secret is revealed, um, all characters get a, uh, a, a action point or, or something like that. You know, like some, some kind of narrative reward to, to reflect the dramatic beat of that, that secret being revealed. And uh, at least one of the secrets I think will be a character who is a medical... Um, uh, what do you call it, the medical uh, doctor? Uh, so he's part of this med team. Two of the characters are going to be the, you know, the general like monster assassin types. Uh, one is going to be a uh, doctor, and then one will be a. Because I think I got four players, four or five players. One will be an engineer type, like the tech person type thing. And um, and yeah, and then over the course of the adventure, they're going to find that that's what's happening. Now it's it's not just interesting having one. Um, you know, one person, uh, you know, as as the main bad guy, just them finding out that Presidio is, uh, you know, has done something shitty, uh, or at least made a mistake in, in the very most generous way of uh, of describing it. Um, they, uh, they, I think it's more interesting to have something else going on, and I think that's going to be a uh, like a kind of like a ghoul king. A more evolved ghoul is going to find out about this and know that there's this technology that can spread uh, ghoul infection even better. And I think the ghoul king is me kind of like a, um, you know, like a hive, uh, not a hive mind, but like a, uh, a queen of a colony. So it's going to be the one that can also sway other ghouls. So there's a, a vested interest this person or this yeah person, I guess, has in spreading it. And the... That sets us up a an, another adversary as well too, who will be who have kind of figured out what's happened and will be looking for this same thing. And I think I'll, I'll allow the players to have a way of kind of like curing, you know, the uh, the, the public if they can get a hold of this truck that's going to be stored somewhere. But the trouble is midway through this whole adventure, then boof, lights go out. So we're in blackout with the truck somewhere in the. Uh, somewhere in the in the neighborhood, 
whatever neighborhood I choose to, to set it in. I need to do more research on that because I, I just don't know the neighborhoods well enough. Um, <clears throat> so they're dealing with rioting people. They're dealing with this betrayal or, or really awful thing that their organization has done. And there is a um, powerful uh, supernatural adversary who wants to get a hold of this to use it as effectively. Imagine like a 70s equivalent of a ghoul-spreading dirty bomb. Something that's going to spread that all the way across the, the city make uh, New York a new ghoul haven. So that, I think, plays with a lot of the, th- the themes of the series. Now, the series does have a much more, for the most part, at least at the ending of the series, has a much more generous, um, not generous, but a more benevolent view of uh, the actions of one of the supernatural um, creatures in, or beings, I guess, in the series. Uh, that, that's, that's, of course, the, the main character, the witch. We killed an awful lot of innocents to get to the point of... There's some awful shit that happened to this person as well, too. And the awful shit she does to the organization is kind of in the story justified by it. But it doesn't... I feel like it's not quite as critical of her as uh, it could have been. But I mean, I mean, that's maybe part of the ambiguity of the series as well. That's not really true. It's not really ambiguous. It's, you're, you're, it's clear who the good guys and bad guys are here. Um... But uh, it's also, I mean, you know, it's, there's a lot going on in that first season, so maybe they didn't feel they had time to, to address that. But in any event, I want to have someone who is has a clear goal, has an understandable and maybe a little bit sympathetic goal, um, uh, but also a, you know, a, something that could be viewed as a very negative uh, and uh, selfish goal as well, too. So, so that's a setup for it, and that allows my players to both shoot some monsters and you know, uh, relatively guilt-free and to involve themselves in some supernatural stuff and deal with the, you know, um, deal with the idea of um, betrayal by their organization. I think that the family element, I might also um, add in, and I think maybe a way to do that is that one of the player characters is going to be um, pregnant and has been maybe has been hiding it from the the secret is she's pregnant and she's been hiding it from the organization uh, and from her husband until you know it's a bad the idea of it being bad luck until you reach uh, three months so um, maybe she hasn't told her husband that she's pregnant and as a result of that while everyone else got this vaccination that they that the presidio thought would um, keep everyone safe she actually didn't do it she she faked them out and didn't get the injection which means that both the the kid and the uh, mom or at least the fetus and the mom are at uh, are both at risk of becoming ghouls because of uh, exposure to this virus um that just leaves a couple other characters to get some secrets in but i mean i think that gives the whole thing some urgency so so that's the story i mean that, that's, that's and i think that that was the how I kind of came to that thing is that I kept thinking about the themes and, and uh, that naturally led to what I was going to, you know, what, what I thought I would incorporate into the adventure. I, I don't have the full adventure together yet. I need to sit down and, and uh, actually write out the kind of um, the story beats for, for it going forward. But um, <clears throat> one thing that I will say too that, that I've been thinking about is I was going through a lot of different in my games and trying to figure out what's the right game for this as well too you know and what what would be the right fit 
for doing this type of story because for one there's a lot of story that's going on in there there's going to be some fighting but that's not the majority of what the the adventure is going to be about it's it's interaction it's uh, uncovering mysteries and, and dealing with that stuff so i needed a system that is a lot lighter on its feet than um you know than say some of the more crunchier games because I'd been thinking about it most recently, and I picked it up again most recently, I had been thinking a lot about uh, Modern Age, not Modern Age, uh, D20 Modern as a, as a game, guys. I really, really enjoyed that game back in the day. But it's pretty crunchy, and it is... Um, it's pretty crunchy, and it is pretty, pretty combat-focused. A lot of the stuff, a lot of the stats and stuff that you got in your character are pretty combat-focused. I looked at it again last night, and I, I'm not... That's I'm. It has some interesting uh, possibilities. Like, if I set the characters at, say, 5th or 6th level, that gets them into what are called advanced classes. And they can get some abilities that are, like, you know, things that reflect you being a good scientist or you being a good doctor or whatever, beyond just the fighting. But what I, I, I'm concerned about is that the fighting component of that would really drag things down. It would, it would require a lot more time for, um, you know, for us to get through things. So... Um, or at least it would chew up the, the combat would chew up a lot of the stuff and I, I do have a lot as you can tell there's a lot of stuff a lot of mystery to uncover a lot of uh, scenes to play out that'll be fairly role play heavy that do take a lot of time so I really want the combat to be fast and furious and to be honest the combat in the show is almost non-existent there's a couple of instances of people getting you know stabbed or shot or whatever but it's not like there's a series of extended combat sequences like say The Witcher or you know Buffy it's not that kind of show the show is about what's the story. It's not about the, the combat. The combat and violence is incidental on the show. And I should really treat it the same way in the adventure. Um, so that also, I guess, led me to... I'm, I'm currently running Modern Age, and I'm enjoying it a great deal. So what if I use Modern Age? Well, the concern I have about Modern Age is the stunt mechanic. Because it does take... If you're new to the game, um, the stunt mechanic does take an awful lot of time uh, to, to get familiar with. And... Um, if we're going to use the full modern age system, uh, then I can, in theory, have those stunt mechanics apply in a bunch of different uh, scenes. And that means I'm having to bog down and deal with rules in, in a whole bunch of different scenes. And I really don't want to do that. Um, it's not to say that those games are, are bad by any means. I think it's great. But you got to design adventures around that suit that stuff. You know, if you want to have say, eight different chatty, chatty scenes, each of those can't take 45 minutes or half an hour because you're going to run out of time. You're going to have your, you know, um, and that's assuming that there's no time spent with the players actually learning the system and learning the mechanics. And to be honest, my group is just not familiar enough with uh, D20, with uh, modern uh, modern age. So I'm not 100% sold against that because I think I'm, I'm, I am really enjoying it and I wonder if there's a, a pared-down version of the stunt uh, mechanic that I could do that would be a lot shorter and sweeter. Um, uh, that would... Because there's a lot I do like about the, the game. Um, but I will see. So that, that is a relatively strong contender. Um, some of the other more story-based games I've decided against no because uh, George, the, the writer who made... Uh, or worked in the uh, October Faction series, he's not really a big fan of those types of games. So um, City of Mist repurposed. Um, Cult repurposed. Not, neither of those is really going to be applicable because it's not really doesn't play to his uh, his sensibilities either. And I want to do that as well. Um, so then it la- left me thinking of 
a little more, I, I thought maybe like if uh, a reworked Traveler, you know, Mongoose Traveler uh, first has some like advantages and disadvantages and it's a pretty easy running game. Um, I thought Delta Green, but I think the game's a little more um, story heavy uh, or a little more uh, like cinematic than, uh, than what Delta Green is and uh, the whole contacts thing won't come into play in this particular adventure. So maybe Call of Cthulhu, Pulp Cthulhu uh, would, would suit the sort of cinematic sensibilities, but um, I think that Cthulhu doesn't necessarily uh, have the the necessary level of complexity in combat that this would require. Again, like the the few couple scenes, I, I, I do want this to be kind of a cinematic thing as well too. Some of the flashbacks, in fairness, are fairly action heavy. You know, with with them fighting monsters, it's just they're not extended sequences. You're seeing like, you know, a, a ten second exchange of blows between monsters, then boom, someone's dead. It's really lethal as well too. That the lethality element got me thinking of GURPS, but GURPS, the worst thing I was worried about there is with the skills, the skills and advantages and whatnot would really bog things down. And it's also a game that people aren't familiar with. But I can run a stripped down GURPS, a lighter on its feet GURPS, that would run a lot faster. And the advantage with GURPS is it's you're looking at a list of skills uh, and you're looking at four attributes with a couple derived attributes. So it's a very intuitive game. It also responds in an intuitive way. And I think if I want to incorporate the real people too, like if I may deal with uh, looters, you know, and have the players have to deal with, actually, that's a great idea. I'll have uh, looters getting ready to take the truck. You know, when they reach the truck, there's going to be looters there and they got to deal with that. And um, I think that would be um, a good, although Modern Age seems like it could do that as well too. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. And the, again, the problem with GURPS is I'd have to present it in such a way, I'd have to, you know, make some substantial changes to it. So, which means I would need to, I could do that with other games as well. So right now, the I, don't, I haven't decided, I haven't landed on what I'm going to use. But I'm thinking that the, the strongest contenders are Modern Age with a condensed list of stunts. Um, it's D20 Modern with uh, a streamlined approach to skills. And it's GURPS, which would be a... A good, I think, I think might be a really good choice as well. Mainly, partly because you can, you can make some really interesting, um, you make some interesting uh, uh, character abilities by using the uh, advantage system. I have to consider using uh, Hero as well too, but Hero the combat system it just takes far too long, so it's just not it's not going to suit that. And there are better game there are games that do a better job of flushing out the non, um, non-combat non uh, part of the game. Uh, and I, where I really think I should be looking is the games that have those more fleshed out non-combat stuff. I actually considered looking at uh, looking at uh, Vampire, Vampire 5. Because Vampire 5 has, looks like it has a really good light on its feet kind of system. Um, but I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not familiar enough with that system, to be honest, uh, yet. To be able to uh, to be able to just pick up and run, uh, so I want to find something that I can that I can use light on its feet. Uh, other, I guess, a final option I thought of is looking at some of the D twenty, uh, like the OSR D twenty games, like Dark Streets and Darker Secrets or something like that. I can't remember what the name of the game is. It's um, uh, one of those games. Same guy who did uh, Solar Blades and Cosmic Spells. Uh, it's, it, the games look really really neat and really fun sandboxy. I think they're a little more supernatural than what I'm looking for. 
but the idea of just having like all I need is some skill mechanics and I need some um, you know uh, some rules for attributes and and decent enough rules for combat that'll be very quick and quick resolving Um, if I could think of a way of doing it uh, in a short enough time I could you know an AD&Dified version of the uh, modern age might be good but I mean I I think I want something a little more uh, cinematic than just that um, I guess I could, I could take a look at uh, Revised Stars Without Number with their cinematic rules or, or the high action heroic rules. Those work pretty well for um, what do you call it? For uh, uh, our heroic barrel maze campaign. So maybe that might be a, a good option. But yeah, I don't know. Um, D20 Modern, to be honest, like feels pretty darn close. I would want to steal some ideas from Modern uh, Age and from um, some of the story games to set up some sub-mechanics in it because there's not really... There's not um, good mini-games for uh, for social interaction and stuff like that in it. But it's it's f- the group that we're going to be playing it with, they're all familiar with, D- with uh, D20 games. It's actually going to be on a night when we normally play AD&D, so again, a D20 game. And I think the classes, the advanced class builds in it would do a good job of suggesting what the build is. Oh, a final uh, option is Genesis, the, um, what do you call it, the game uh, made by Fantasy Flight Games uh, that is based on the same mechanic that drove their Star Wars games. I've, I've mentioned on the channel before how the issues I've had with that, but for a stripped down, if you streamline the combat system and run it like a more like a story game and an uh, interpretive dice mechanic game, you can run some really good non-combat scenes with it with some fun, un- unexpected results. So that's another consideration to think of, is that, um, you know, that that's the game I'd run. What I do know is there's a lot of things I don't need to worry about too much for it. Like, I'm not going to worry about the kind, like, specific loadout. You don't need to know what kind of gun or what kind of whatever. I mean, it's big gun, small gun, rifle, whatever. So I don't need complexity. I don't need uh, a lot of complexity from the um, uh, you know, the, the weapon types, uh, combat's going to be very, you know, something that's going to be as uh, complex as, say, AD&D will be fine by me, even a little less so. I want group initiative, I think, because I, I do like that. And, hmm, so maybe I can clue something together. But that's, I don't know, that, that's what I'm thinking. And, and the reason I mention all of those things is not to say... To, to you know, suggest one of those games are going to be great for for you necessarily. Um, to show how I have been looking at those games, what those games are good and bad at, and to see how those might fit the type of story I'm, I want to tell. Because in this case, I'm not starting with the uh, the game and then trying to develop a story. I'm starting with a story and finding the game that's going to tell that story the best. Savage Worlds was also something I considered as well too, and uh, the reason I. Uh, rejected it is because it would be hard to come up with enough in, well, I don't know, I'm not 100% sold on dropping that one yet either. Uh, I think the only reason I might dump that is because it does encourage combat more so than chatty chattiness. It does have really good long, you know, extended task rules and chase rules. Their chase rules are some of my favorite in any role-playing game. Um, So that, that definitely puts it as a strong contender in the idea of racing through the streets of, uh, you know, um, blacked out, you know, uh, riot filled New York to try and get to this uh, truck. That might be pretty darn cool. Um, but 
Um, hmm. See, I'm, I'm partly talking myself into it. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, um, I'm going to spend think the next week and think about it, but I hope that's been helpful. I hope this exercise has been helpful to see how I took an, I, you know, took a, a, con, a very rough concept. I want to play October faction, help me figure out what the, that, like what a game about October faction might be and how I selected at least the list of games that I might use in order to run that adventure. Now, I'll do a postscript to this in a later episode uh, to tell you how that went and how the players felt about it. Um, but yeah, but that's my thought for my October faction one-shot, uh, at least right now. Oh, so one thing I forgot to mention in that last segment, I guess, is with respect to the... Once I've made the selection for game, um, for game, for the game I'm actually going to use for the adventure, um, it, the next thing is is then how am I going to use those game mechanics to translate into fun kind of scenes and things like that? And what I'm leaning currently, since I recorded that last segment, I've been thinking a little more and, and actually heard from some of the folks from uh, Green Running on um, uh, Twitter and. Uh, I think Modern Age is probably what I'm going to use for the October Faction session. And the uh, what, one of the reasons why I'm thinking that is because there's a lot of really interesting kind of small minigame type things that could uh, be a fun way of gamifying the uh, some of the aspects of the story. Like, for instance, the uh, investigation component. There's a pretty good investigation uh, set of rules there. Uh, there are uh, rules for... Uh, conviction, which is like kind of like the meta currency in, uh, or uh, met the um, narrative meta currency that you use in the uh, modern age uh, role playing game. Um, there's some. It looks like it's some interesting uh, chase rules. I'm, I'm not sure if they're necessarily gonna. Actually, I can tell you they're probably not gonna uh, beat out Savage Worlds as my favorite, only because uh, Savage Worlds uh, incorporates this bonkers um, card mechanic as well as the uh, the dice so it it's just it's a really a lot of fun and the the dice or the uh, cards in the savage rolls ones give you two different each gives you um the suit and the uh the number or the whatever is on you the, the face uh of the card gives you a different result so i i think it's gonna be neat but but in any event the, the chase rules in uh, modern age are still pretty good um and I thought that uh, that might be... The, oh, and they have the minion rules as well, too, which I think would be important for getting through a quick, uh, relatively quick combat, even if I'm still keeping it in the gritty mode. That's another interesting thing about Modern Age, is that you have three different modes of play you can be in. You can be in uh, um, uh, gritty, uh, pulp, or cinematic, and I think either the gritty or the pulp is probably where I'll situate this particular uh, campaign, or this particular adventure at least, but... Um, that's the other thing. It's like once I've decided on a game, uh, so I have my concept, I picked my game, and then it's a matter of finding out what game mechanics I'd use. So the chase, using that same example of, you know, um, the guys uh, of, of investigating this ghoul's nest, finding out that uh, Presidio is responsible for the, the stuff uh, on that, uh, over, over, uh, responsible for letting the... Um, uh, you know, letting loose the, the virus, uh, trying to come up with a plan to, to finding out what's you know what what the actual cause was, getting across city to get to the uh, truck uh, to hopefully find some antidote. Because I mean, the cl- characters were injected with a uh, at the very least a um, 
uh, a, um, oh gosh, what do you call it? A, um, not an inoculation, it's, well, whatever. It's a, an immunity, basically, injection. So, and I can't think of the word because it's too early in the morning for me. But in any event, the what I thought is so the the combat rules obviously will come into play during the combat thing. The chase mechanics, I'll design a little chase encounter for getting across the city, and then I'll have complications that'll trigger as we make our way across the uh, the city as well too. Um, there, I will also make use of the. Uh, stunt mechanics uh, to add in some interesting things as we go. There's not really a critical fail version of the stunt mechanic in the game, uh, like there is in, uh, say, like Fantasy Flight. Uh, Star Wars has that where there's uh, despair uh, that you get from, uh, not despair, you get um, threat uh, from uh, from some dice rolls. And it does add an interesting element or dynamic to it, which I think is absent from modern age, actually. Hmm. I'd thought about that, but uh, so partly uh, the only time you get the negative results in modern age is when you actually fail your dice rolls, and uh, that is one advantage that the fantasy flight games do have is that you get interesting negative results even on a positive success sometimes. So it's kind of interesting that way. Um, but um, yeah, that is um, the, what I think I would do is I'm gonna design a little um, mini chase thing. The combats I'm gonna design one or two to be very, very quick. I think probably only one uh, because of the length of time we have to be a fair, relatively quick thing with um, minions. And I'll have one more that's going to be more substantive, I think, that'll likely be against um, uh, potentially against uh, either Presidio agents or against rioting people. It's going to be a social scene with the rioting people too. because uh, They're not going to be actual ghouls guarding the truck. It's going to be people who are rioting uh, during the blackout. Um, and there's some research uh, stunts as well too, but in I, I, from the recommendation of the folks from Green Ronin, I actually went back to my copy of the uh, the Modern Age Companion, and there's quite a few like there's a lot of interesting optional roles in there, but the one that uh, I think might appeal to me for the purpose of the game is the unified stunt mechanic. In the game as written, uh, Modern Age has a whole bunch of different sub rules and, and tables for stunts so like if you're stunting with a firearm it's a different table for that if you're stunting with a melee weapon it's a different stunt for that and there's also general combat stunts and it's, it's a bit overwhelming uh, to be honest uh, there's just a lot of stuff to look at and you don't have to necessarily like what they recommend is you pick a couple of favorites and then you kind of stick with those but you know if you're not a master of the game you do want to try and you do want to sample some stuff you want to try a couple things out so it's a bit messy for for newcomers, but I think that by using a unified stunt thing, and what it does is basically streamlines and takes out the flavor from a lot of the different uh, tables, but keeps the, the core mechanic of what appears in a lot of the things. Because in each of the things, there's like, you know, there'll be some mechanic under social that'll give you like plus one stunt dice or stunt result to your next dice roll, um, and they'll call it one thing, and then you'll get the same mechanical result from a combat one, but it'll call it something else. Uh, so the unified stunt table actually might be actually my, my player Engulf uh, in my um, modern age game uh, he actually pointed that out as well too is something that might fit our collective sensibilities a little better because we're all coming from more of a 2d20 uh, you know modifius game uh, and uh, fantasy fight Star Wars kind of uh, approach so we may actually like that a little find that to be a little uh, easier of a transition and we were used to sort of 
making up with the making up the sort of uh, narrative explanations for why we're getting those bonuses. And the the reason one of the cautions they gave against that is like, well, you're going to have to come up with a reason for you know explaining these each time um, rather than having you know taking from the pre-made list. But you know anyone who's coming from those other games probably is already used to that. So. Uh, and I mean, all the players that I've got in my game have played in one of those types of games in Fantasy Flight Star Wars or in uh, Genesis or in one of the 2D20 games like Conan or Infinity or whatever. Uh, so, so I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think that Modern Age might be a really good, it'll be a good opportunity for me to dive in to do some game design with the actual mechanic and, uh, and or with the actual game to, to figure out, you know, how, how much fun it is to design encounters, how effective those are going to be at the table. Um... And I think that I can make the characters unique enough with, with the, the way that the characters are built. So it'll reflect what I want. I'm, not, I'm never really keen on uh, taking a brand new game, or new game to me at least, yeah, into a one-shot. Uh, recent experience with that was not great. Because, I mean, especially when I've got a clear story goal in mind for it. But I don't know. I think I'm... Um, we'll see. I think we'll see by next week I'll have an idea. By midway next week I'll have an idea of whether... I feel I'm comfortable enough with it, but it seems like it's going to be a good fit, and I think that there are, are good um, in like in adventure uh, set pieces I can kind of design around those, uh, whether it's social set pieces, action set pieces, exploration set pieces, that will suit that. So, yeah. So that's what I did. one of the only thing I wanted to add is that uh, the uh, the final step I guess is once you got your concept, once you got your game selected, is finding ways to make those, uh, use those, the unique game, uh, elements that they have in that particular game to, to suit your story, you know, like the chase across blacked out to New York is hopefully going to be a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, so that's that. Let's uh, move on to the next segment. All right. Last segment for this episode is the state of play. So, uh, how have uh, games been going uh, around my parts for the last little while. Well, uh, last weekend we played. Uh, let's see here. We played. We played. We played. Um, AD and D on uh, Friday night, which was awesome. Uh, that campaign continues to be more and more and more fun. We had a really good um, mix uh, encounter of uh, some pretty heavy role playing when the guys encountered a what was later determined to be a fallen uh, Aarakocra that seemed to have been shot with this massive um, Knoll arrow. And uh, they had never, none of the characters had any familiarity with Aarakocras. Uh, they're the uh, Birdmen from uh, D&D, I should say, uh, if you're not familiar with them. Um, the, so there was a really good, it, it was kind of struggling with life, but unfortunately there was no cleric in the, in the group uh, for that week so, or for that session. So they really couldn't do much beyond like give some water and try and give aid. And then when the Aarakocra saw the two elves that are part of the party, it got pretty relaxed and uh, it gave them this, um, it's a note, I guess, a note to deliver to uh, an NPC that they had not yet encountered in the, uh, in the campaign, this other ranger uh, named uh, Serene. So they've got a, they got that. And then they also recovered two magic items and what I, I decided to do uh, is I, I wasn't quite sure what the thing would have on it I knew it wouldn't have any healing potions but I decided there might be two other potions so I had the guys uh, roll randomly for me and I went to my uh, copy of the AD&D uh, second edition Ma- um, Encyclopedia Magica which is a compilation of uh, basically all the magic items published for the game from 1997 until no 1977 
until 1990, um, oh gosh, 1994 or 95. So it's a huge compilation of really interesting uh, magic items and a lot of oddball ones. Like there's, you know, a lot of the stuff that's in there. No, I shouldn't say a lot. There's some of the stuff that's in there that is very, very situational at best, you know, if not useless. But it's kind of, it's fun. I mean, that's one of the things I love about these old school games is having this oddball stuff being thrown in there and then the characters just say, you know, making of it what they will. It's kind of, I, I imagine it's part of the appeal of the cipher system is having those, because having ciphers and making use of those things is a big part of, of that game where there's these pretty powerful but one-shot kind of magic items. And similarly, you know, that's what uh, I was doing is, is deciding to introduce some of this stuff. And we got one, ma- so there was one that was an oil that would grant a massive charisma bonus, but the other one was kind of neat. And I, I reskinned it as a pigment of heroism and basically what it is is a uh, something that it's war paint effectively they can put on and uh, it'll transform them into I think it's like a fourth level or, or sixth level ranger so they get a you know big bucket of hit points they get them um, for the period of the their duration of the uh, magic item uh, they get a uh, they'll attack as if with a plus three I think it's plus three longbow um, so you know much big for a bunch of first level characters that's a big boost that's a kind of a you know big um, you know panic button thing they don't know how to use the war paint yet but they were able to identify what it was and that's pretty cool I mean like that was an unexpected little uh, bit of element a bit of um, luck on their part and I'm interested to see when they're going to crack that out because I mean obviously not until they learn how to use it I guess but um, but yeah it's it's pretty that was pretty cool then they had a combat encounter and unfortunately once again our, our heroes got surprised uh, they've had really bad luck with the first little bit of uh, the campaign with uh, surprise rolls and uh, they got ambushed by a uh, pack of wild dogs that were running around in the hill and two characters nearly died uh, well one character was into negative hit points I shouldn't say that that's a little overly dramatic one was in the negative hit points the other one genuinely almost died he was one hit point loss away from uh, from actually dying dying and uh, what I decided to do uh, on an impulse was to snag the mortal wounds table from Adventure Conqueror King and I used that to uh, to add in some some what do you call it some negative or some um, um effect you know some lasting effect for it and uh, what we ended up with is one character lost his eye as a result of the uh, the injury and the other character uh, lost a bunch of his teeth he lost four teeth in the attack so I um, at the time uh, you know I was like oh man like that's really maybe that's a little harsher than I intended but you know when, when I got back to the session, uh, last night, last night we had our, our our most our most recent session of that campaign, session ten actually, and the guys were totally with it. Like they they, the players I've gotten that campaign are really great in the sense of they. I mean in every sense I guess, but they're also really great because they totally roll with the old school sensibilities. Like when when I decided to trot out some stuff that uh, more modern players might bitch about, like rolling hit points or you know random. Uh, <coughs> excuse me the you know maimings and and whatnot after uh after an attack 
Um, the guys roll with it. They're just like, okay, that's that's fine. You know, um, those shitty random encounters too. Like they they got caught in their sleep and uh, were attacked. You know, ambushed by these dogs. No one bitched about it. No one thought it was unfair or whatever. Or they just or, yeah. I mean, no one did that grousing that sometimes you get when uh, things you know uh, un. Perceivably unfair things happen, and I guess I love that the guys recognize that the unfairness is a function of the world, and not a function of the game. And uh, I saw we saw a turnabout on that actually in our Wednesday session of that last night, where the guys uh, actually surprised a band of goblins, and these poor goblins they didn't even have an apart for like there was five of them going along. These guys uh, killed four of them before they even knew what was happening. One tried to make a run for it, so they got him and uh, took him in, you know, took him hostage, and tried to get some information. Unfortunately, the only character who could uh, actually understand the goblin was our gnome, who uh, hates goblins. And uh, we we did have actually something interesting come up. Is the character the player was like, okay, um, you know, he was getting fr- fr- frustrated because the goblin was just lipping him off, and he's like, I'm going to cut off a, a finger, and it, it gave me an opportunity to talk about torture in in the games. And, um, you know, what, like, for one, I guess, like, I, I don't really like running a very, um, I don't want, I, torture, it, in my mind, is so much more horrifying of a, um, of an, of an activity, uh, that, uh, than what I think a lot of players, at least the people I've played with in, in the past, really give it credit for, you know, it, uh, it speaks to the, the, uh, dissociation that you get with playing a role-playing game sometimes when um, the players are cavalier about torture but those same players may not be willing to sit through a torture scene in like you know a grindhouse kind of uh, film you know um, like the hospital films or something like that and um, the point I made was to the player was like look first off your character's not evil so I, I don't think that's your character would go there second it's a medieval world, it's brutal, it's short and whatnot, that doesn't mean everyone is a torturer torture is such a you know, and I, I gave a little brief kind of like description of like this is what you're entailing, you know, of grabbing this finger and having the goblin squeal and trying to get it away and then you trying to bring that, you know, that sweaty blade down to cut it off and you know, and then the blood and the reaction of the goblin and all this other awful shit like it's just um, it's incredibly unpleasant and I just don't think it's likely that that the average adventurer would resort to that, uh, to, to uh, physical torture, um, as a, as a you know, especially after the course of a, maybe four sentence conversation. Uh, but a, more to the point, you know, a, a game like um, Zweihander uh, or Shadow of the Demon Lord, they have mechanics for dealing with corruption, like the, the the negative consequence that comes from that, the corrupting effect that that has on your character. So. And that game is those games have a lot darker sensibility than what AD and D does, uh, or at least this campaign does. So, but it was good. I mean, we had I got a chance to kind of address that, and the, the player was like, "Nope, that's fine. That's fine." I, I you know, uh, he says, I, "I hate goblins. I, I get that, but I, I mean, I get that it, it wouldn't necessarily mean that I would resort to cutting off body parts." You know, um, so so that was. Uh, I'm glad he saw it that way. And we talked also about like I mentioned the the corruption mechanics in, in some of those other games he's like well you could house rule it in this I'm like yeah but the game's not about that like this this particular campaign is not about the degeneration of the players and or the player characters and, and the 
the you know progression into into madness. It's it's about a different thing. Like that, this this campaign is about something else. So we don't need to incorporate that uh, element of the game. But it was good. It was uh, I think it was a productive conversation, and it was it was cool seeing that uh, uh, a thing like that come up in the game, and us be able to deal with it as a party, and then kind of you know move on. So that was uh, that was good. Um, what else did I play? We had. We were to have our Galantry campaign, but we had kind of a... We ended up spending that day talking about uh, the campaign and about uh, the challenges I've had with it and what I want to do with the Saturday sessions that aren't uh, Ash games. And uh, we came, uh, we spent about basically the full three hours doing that and talking about characters, talking about different games, talking about different possibilities, things that we wanted to explore. And we've got a really... I'm not going to review, uh, review or reveal the surprise yet, but... Um, we're going to be rev- next, uh, not this coming weekend, but next weekend, we'll be kicking off a brand new campaign with a brand new, uh, well, uh, it's a game, but I'm not sure it's a brand new game, brand new to us, brand new setting at least. And um, yeah, I think that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, and uh, it's I, 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 I like the, uh, the group that we got for this. I think it's going to be a solid group of five players and uh, we'll be able to, to achieve with this the, the short-term story goal that I was, I was kind of elusive with our Galantry game. The Galantry game, too, like, the, the problem that was becoming more and more apparent with every more complex uh, combat encounter is that as cool as it was to have the concept of the all-wizard party and as much fun as it was to kind of role-play those characters, uh, it's really hard to design game elements for that kind of group because um, your, you know, like, the game itself is not designed for you having just four, five casters. You know, the game expects you to have more people in the group and, and a more diverse group of, of uh, heroes. So it makes uh, the the sort of math that works behind the scenes on this it just it completely falls down because the expectations that the that the math of balancing count combat encounters was based on assumes that you're going to have a tank, you're going to have a healer, you're going to have uh, you know a mix of range and, and melee, and that's just not the case with the all caster group. So. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. And then on uh, Sunday, we had our first session of Threefold. Uh, well, I'm calling the campaign... What am I calling the campaign? Oh, I'm calling the campaign Terminus. And we had our first session, which I called Orphans and uh, Orphans and Jellyfish. And it was really good. You know, I mean, uh, I this is definitely going to be a campaign that is going to be a lot more heavily scripted or heavily uh, laid out uh, than what, say... Our, you know, uh, our certainly a, a contrast to our uh, Night Below campaign, but uh, and we barely, you know, we barely made use of the rules for it. But it was really fun role playing through that that initial set of stuff. You know, I, I decided to adopt rather than like talk with the players and get the full kind of layout and explanation of who relates to who and whatnot. We just did it in play, and it was really fun. You know, we saw some um, relationships between characters develop organically. Uh, we saw some really interesting backstory explored, and I hopefully we, we set up some pretty intriguing mysteries for the players to explore. Um, yeah, and it was uh, it was pretty great. I, I really enjoyed the session. I, uh, I and I really enjoyed preparing for it as well too. You know, it, it's been a while since I've written something that is um, kind of whole cloth. Uh, in a sense of the setting I'm creating, uh, by, by which I mean, like, we're using the threefold setting from the mo- the Green Running product threefold uh, using Modern Age, but we're th- that is a multiversal setting, so you're going to have to kind of pick what 
elements you want to include in your game, and that's what I did for for mine. Is uh, for that one, I, I've got um, you know I've got an a story in mind for what's going on. Uh, I've got a a rough idea of the beginning, middle, and end, but we're going to see where things kind of go, what which things the players want to spend a little more time with, and I yeah, I mean I. Um, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed preparing it. I enjoyed running it. I enjoyed the way it came out of the table. The pacing I felt was really good, and we ended on a, on a hopefully an, an intriguing um, cliffhanger. So we'll see where it goes uh, next session. But so that was good. And then the um, I think that's all the games I've run uh, the last little while. I uh, this coming weekend we've got uh, AD and D again. We've got uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, which is going to be the third siege of Iron Fang Keep, so that's going to require some more work on my part to get that ready. I've got a hot date with that tonight to finish designing all the stuff that's going into that encounter. And um, then on Sunday we have Zweihander again, and we, uh, yeah, I'm that campaign is or that game is is proving to be really fun. I actually see at the re- the recommendation of my buddy Anthony, aka Runeslinger, um, I ordered a whole set of. Um, cards for uh, print-on-demand cards for uh, Zweihander, which includes like all the magic cards, uh, all the monster cards, and a another. There, there's a there's two different kind of uh, DM screens you can get for it. There's a, a play mat, and there is a GM screen, and they're really fucking cool. And the monster cards in particular look really great. They got and when you use the play mat with the mar- like when you use all that stuff together. It's just that you really wouldn't have to refer to that massive book at all. So I'm. Uh, it's unfortunate that the those products will not get to me before next session, but uh, it'll be great to have them for the session afterwards. I'm really enjoying that game. Like I, I really, um, yeah. I think it's it's been so far a, a lot of fun to uh, uh, to play. But uh, and then I'm playing in two games this weekend as well too. I'm playing in a Witcher game run by my buddy Pete at Garblag Games. Uh, and I, for which I need to practice my, gosh, uh, I need to practice my uh, accent because I'm, I've decided my character is going to be played by, um, oh, what's the actor's name? Gosh, I've already forgotten his name. It's a guy from Sexy Beast, and uh, he's in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull briefly. Um, oh, man, I can't remember what his guy's name is. He's in Beowulf as well. In any event, um, it's this kind of like rough, you know, um, I, I actually don't know where what part of England uh, it's the accent is from, but I really like the. It's got this real kind of like, you know, working class kind of quality to it, and I really want to bring that to my bard. I don't want to play a bard like Jaskier uh, from the Witcher TV show or the books. I want to play a character who's going to be more, you know, like a soccer hooligan, you know, rabble rouser. Uh, that's the guy who gets people, you know, going and tells the stories. So, so it would be something different. I mean, that way, because we've got a Witcher in it, we got a Bard, and I don't want to just play the same characters that uh, we played in um, that you see from the TV show. If we we're going to do that, like, why not just play those characters? Um, but the other one I'm playing in is uh, a version of Pendragon that's going to be set actually around the time of Beowulf. So I guess I should just rewatch Beowulf and start practicing my um, uh, my accent. Uh, yeah, so I mean that—that's um, it's gonna be a full weekend, um, but it should be a lot of fun. And then, yeah, um, I've got—I'm uh, not gonna talk about it yet, but I've got—I'm actually thinking of adding another day of uh, to my roster as well too, because I've got got an itch to—I got an idea for adding an extra day, but I'm not gonna talk about that until I have plans set in stone for it. But um, wow, that 
as of now, uh, January 30th, 2020, that is the state of play. All right, and that is the episode. So for those listening at home, thank you so much for joining us uh, for, or joining me, I should say, us. I'm so used to the YouTube channel. Uh, Joining me for this episode of the Dungeon Musings podcast. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this episode, please don't hesitate to shoot me a voice message on Anchor. Uh, You can reach me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings. You can uh, reach me uh, by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. And you can also reach me on the Dungeon Musings Discord server. Uh, To find out that, if you go to the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel or go to any of the most recent uh, videos in the last six months, uh, in the description of that video, you will find a link to the Dungeon Musings Discord server. Please feel free to join us on there and our ever-growing group of very cool gamers who want to talk about the various campaigns that we run on the channel, other gaming issues, finding a group, and so forth. So it's pretty pretty awesome. But anyway, until next time, though, uh, uh, I thank you again for listening, and uh, happy gaming. <laughs>